2: Head to UFMUnderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear. Support your manhood.
0: Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation.
2: The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. Florida Miami game preview here we go a full episode of Gators Breakdown. joining me on this Miami game preview is Andrew Ivins from 24-7 sports inside the U to preview the Hurricanes and all the newness that they have coming into Orlando also former Hurricane and father to Marco and Quincy Wilson Chad Wilson gets in with his unique perspective on the game and lastly Bill King with his wealth of college football knowledge gives us his take on the rivalry and the state of the Gators heading in to the season opener. Remember, you can find Gator's Breakdown on NewsforJacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gator's Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for jax sports team. This Saturday, August 24th, is the public's Bold City showcase, whereas Gator fans can watch defensive back commit Trevez Johnson as his Bartram Trail. Bears take on the lead generals at 1pm on WJxT channel 4 here in Jacksonville or you can stream the game on newsforjacks.com if you, if you're not in the Jacksonville area. Also uh, you know you can you can watch your uh, your, your football watching can start early uh, the same day Florida plays Miami started early at 1 pm by watching Trave Johnson uh, Gators defensive back commit. and also you can catch Georgia quarterback commit Carson Beck and Mandarin take on Atlantic coast at 4 pm. And then at seven, the nightcap. While you're watching Florida versus Miami, you can stream Bowls versus University Christian. Catch Gators Breakdown on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube as well. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. That really helps us out. Share, rate, and review Gators Breakdown, and on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Also, a news for Jacks exclusive every week, talking with Troop. Former Gators tight end Ben Troop would join me on news4jax.com to talk Gators like only he can. You know Ben brings it every time he's on, and it'll be exclusive to news4jax.com. I'll be posting the links out on Twitter, uh, Facebook, wherever you get it at, or wherever you get Gators breakdown. You know we'll we'll, we'll link it to uh, news4jax.com. And uh, Ben Troop and get his thoughts, of course, on uh, the the past game and coming up, uh, looking up at the uh, coming up uh, upcoming opponent uh, as well. It'll be every week, exclusive on news talking with Troop and get your Gators breakdown gear at SquadLocker.com. Head over and click on the top right of the screen. Click on Find Your Store and type in Gators Breakdown. Then all the gear is available right there: hats, shirts, polos, and more at SquadLocker. Happy to be joined by Andrew Ivan from Inside the U on the Twenty Four Seven Sports Network. Andrew, you uh, you ready to get the start, the season started, just like I am?
3: I am, man. We're we're so close. I'm just ready for uh, some real football and not us talking about what's going on behind these close practices. Absolutely.
2: We only so much we can glean from that, and pretty much only, only only what the coaches want us to see.
3: Exactly. Exactly. They they try to say it's not a too deep, and then. You know, next thing you know, they released the depth chart and everything you thought was the two deep is actually the two deep. So,
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right. Exciting, you know, exciting time for this game. Only game on TV. ESPN picks it up, pushes it up a week and uh, celebrating 150 years of college football. You know, opening game in Orlando, home and home announced for 2024, 2025. You know, Florida and Miami in the news a lot uh, with this, you know, leading up to this game. Uh, From the Miami side of things, should these two
3: teams play more? I think so, for sure. I mean, I think this is what both these programs want. I, I mean, it's almost as if uh, the entire country is watching. and I mean, they will be watching this weekend, but it, it seems like Miami and Florida have been the center of conversation. Now, I know they're in week zero, and this is kind of the first game, and it seems like all, I guess, August long or, or, or during these camps, Miami's been ahead of everyone else, and Florida has in terms of practice. It's like, oh, everyone else in the country is having their final scrimmage this weekend. It's like Miami already had that. Florida already had that. So I think these teams need to play uh, more often. I think this is what fans want. And just with the era of college football playoff we're in now where you need these out-of-conference, big-time games, it, it makes just too much sense not to play. That's at least my opinion on it.
2: Yeah, I definitely think the two teams should play more. From a Florida perspective, it would be kind of tough to have, you know, FSU and Miami as both permanents, would uh, you know just because of schedule flexibility. Florida, you know, playing neutral site in, in Georgia every year with an SEC schedule, and if you had two permanent, you know, Miami and FSU, I think it limits you know, what Florida can do is say when they go play Texas and, you know, uh, in about 10 years or so in Colorado like that. So, you know, they definitely should play more. I just not sure if it really should be
3: a, a permanent series. Right. Maybe you try to play it, you know, once every two or three years. And I think if you're Florida, you're kind of hoping that you host, uh, you know, the Miami of the year you guys are at at Florida State and then vice versa. Maybe when you host Florida State, then that's when you play at Miami. But I think the neutral site just kind of really works in general just this thing being in orlando absolutely and uh
2: what about the excitement from the uh the miami uh, players and staff uh what have they you know of course the you know, opening press conferences for the week and for the game uh are kind of coming out now and of course you know a little bit of trash talk out there but uh just in terms of general excitement of the players playing in this game
3: i think they're pretty fired up it's it's kind of in Interesting to see that more of the the trash talk has come from the Florida side, which I think is almost expected. And and Florida certainly has the grounds to kind of chirp away and take some some shots here and there uh, at at Miami. And I think the Hurricanes have been way more conservative because they know that they don't. I mean, they're coming off a seven and six season. They got a first year head coach, so I think they've been pretty reserved in what they've said, just because they don't want to. I don't know. Light a fire under someone. I think both teams are going to come out and play hard, regardless. But I just have found it interesting how reserved uh, they've kind of been. It's been a more uh, of a respect towards Florida, but that doesn't mean when they start warming up uh, on Saturday, I think 90 minutes before the game, I, I'd, I'd be shocked if there wasn't uh, at least some type of pre-game uh, interaction or, or of some sorts. I mean, I think this is pretty heated, but uh, Miami seems to be excited, but at the same time, they're. They're they're not ready to, uh, you know, declare that they're they're going to come out here I- I- and win. Of course, the the biggest storyline for Miami was the quarterback position
2: and, and the battle that went on there. It's been some time since Jaren Williams' uh, announcement, uh, you know, to start at quarterback and to get caught up here. You know, why why was it Williams and that that was named the starter and not Perry or, or Martell? And with him being named the starter, does that mean anything for how the offense will look compared to if the other two were playing?
3: Well, Manny Diaz and offensive coordinator Dan Enos have made this pretty clear that in the end, Jaron was the one that kind of separated himself from Tate Martell and Nikosi Perry. I mean, this competition started all the way back in January when Diaz was named the head coach, and Martell came in, and Perry was on the roster. I mean, this is kind of... There was initially... There wasn't much separation during spring ball. They kind of set the stage where, hey, we want you guys to separate yourself this summer. Um, I think Jaron really got serious about the position he he lost some body fat uh his teammates said that he was he was throwing more uh in in private workouts with them uh and then once fall camp got underway they they reset everyone again put them on the same starting line uh, and let them kind of battle it out and in the end jaron williams was the guy because i think he was the most consistent of the bunch they feel like he's the one that won't make the most mistakes if that makes sense i think Uh, Perry obviously has the game experience having started six games last year, led a comeback win over Florida state had a road victory under his belt at Virginia tech. But at the end of the day, while there's a bunch of goods with Perry, uh, there's a bunch of bads. I mean, he's, he's very prone to making, uh, bad throws and bad decisions, especially when that pocket break down, uh, breaks down, excuse me. And then with Tate Martell, I mean, bottom of the line, he's just not that accurate of a passer. And I think, uh, while he's good with his legs. They're looking for a guy who's going to make um, the right throws. And I think you asked about the offense being different or, or, or catered towards or one way or no, uh, another. I think with Jaron, we're going to see um, them try to work that intermediate passing game a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of motion. Uh, they're going to utilize those tight ends. And I think they like Jaron because he's a guy who can get those balls and, and make those three, five-step drops and it, it put a ball in a spot. And I just don't think they were that confident that Martell or Perry were going to be able to do that. Uh, and I think with Manny just being a defensive head coach, you want to go with a reliable guy that you don't think is going to turn the ball over. And they think uh, Jaron Williams is that guy.
2: And led by Jaron Williams, if this offense is to ba- bounce back from Miami, uh, what part of the offense can you point to as a, as a building point to, to help to bounce back? <laughs>
3: Well, I would say tight ends. They love what they got at tight end. And Will Mallory and Brevin Jordan. I think Michael Irvin, who's uh, the son of uh, wide receiver Michael Irvin. uh, So Michael Irvin Jr. I think at most schools, he'd probably be tight end number one. But at Miami, they're so deep, he's tight end number three. So I think they're going to utilize those tight ends as much as they can. Um, They're going to try to have them help uh, the offensive tackles. I mean, they're going to start two freshmen at offensive tackles. Zion Nelson, a a true freshman former two-star recruit Appalachian State commit that they flipped late. He enrolled early, and he's the best of the bunch they got at left tackle. So he's going to get the the start at left tackle. Then you got John Campbell, a redshirt freshman, at right tackle. So I think they're going to try to um, use as many tight ends as they can to kind of help those guys out and then use them in the passing game. I also think another – Uh, strength of this offense, while the tackle positions are pretty weak, is the interior of the line. They got some multi-year starters there, and Navon Donaldson and and DJ Scaife. I mean, those are both guys that Florida recruited. If you go back to the recruiting process, those are going to be your two starting guards. And then they got Corey Gaynor at center. They seem to think those units are are pretty strong. So I'd expect a lot of inside runs trying to get behind those guys. I mean, they were in the ball behind Navon Donaldson more than anyone else last year. Uh, So I I think they're going to try to Lean on those units, um, still a lot of question marks at wide receiver uh, and, and quarterback. I mean, I know they love Jaron Williams, but the, at the end of the day, he's only taken nine snaps in his career, and that was against Savannah State, so uh, a big question mark with him.
2: And, of course, you, you mentioned the receivers just a little bit, and I think the matchup a lot of people are really looking forward to is, is whether it be Marco Wilson or C.J. Henderson uh, matched up on, on, on you know, the wide receiver core led by Jeff Thomas.
3: Yeah, Jeff Thomas is 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 lightning in a bottle, man. Um Miami fans have seen him flash his potential. I think CJ Henderson said this week that they kind of view him as an NFL guy, and I would agree with that. I mean, he's got he's got the speed. I'm more interested to see what uh KJ Osborne does. He's a graduate transfer, uh Miami got from Buffalo, uh a fifth year guy. Um, And they brought him in because they just felt they were very young in that receivers room and they didn't have a lot of guys they could kind of count on. So we've seen flashes of him here and there back in the spring. uh, And they kind of are comparing him to like a Braxton Berrios. If Florida fans are familiar with him Mm -hmm. from a few few years ago. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to beat you with your separation, but he's a knack just kind of for getting open. And I think um, with Jaron Williams making his first start, I think he's going to be a guy they try to target a lot. So, I'm interested to see how he does against Florida's secondary, and uh, I'm sure all the attention will be on Jeff Thomas, but I think if Miami's going to win this game, they're going to have to get K.J. Osborne going, and they're going to have to get those tight ends going.
2: As we move to the other side of the ball, Andrew Ivins from the uh, 24-7 Sports Network site, the uh, Miami site there inside of you, joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, this defense, and, you know, it starts with the linebackers and with senior Shaq Quarterman and Zach McLeod on the inside and, you know, Peekney and, you know, maybe even Romeo Finley coming up there a little bit, flying around on the outside. You know, pair that with the unit with uh, Pat Bethel and, and Jonathan Garvin up front. How much of it is on, you know, those guys to keep this defense as one of the nation's best?
3: It starts with that unit. I mean, let's go back to last season. Last season, everyone was expecting Miami to have this huge drop-off. Because uh, they lost Kendrick Norton and R.J. McIntosh, and then they had kind of Gerald Willis step up and, and be the guy on the interior of that defensive line. Uh, a lot of people are kind of thinking the same. Miami's defensive line might be a little bit down. It might not be what it's been. But I actually would argue that the defensive line in, in that front seven is is the strength of the team. I love what they got in John Garvin at at defensive end. I think Trayvon Hill, uh, the graduate transfer out of Virginia Tech, he's not he's not talked about enough. Um, They also got Scott Patchen, Greg Russo, Jafari Harvey. Those are all top defensive ends. I think Florida is going to probably try to try to pound the ball in between the tackles. And that's a bit of a a weakness for for Miami in terms of them just not having as good of guys. But the coaches love John Ford. Um, They think he he had a great offseason. Uh, and they were saying the same thing about Gerald Willis last year, and we were all kind of wondering if if that was right, and then Gerald Willis comes out early in the season and has a monster game against LSU. So if they can get even anywhere close to that production from John Ford, you have to feel pretty good about that line. Uh, But yeah, definitely a strength of the team, and it's going to come down to pressuring the quarterback. I mean, I think Miami is going to send a lot of pressure and try to get to Felipe Franks, and that's going to put uh, uh you know, put the, the secondary in the spotlight. They're gonna be starting two um uh two safeties making their first career starts and Amari Carter uh in Gervin Hall and that back end of that defense. Yeah, you and then there are some, you know, some questions in the secondary with safeties
2: of like Jaquan Johnson. Uh, having to move on as well. But, you know, junior Trajan Bandy, uh, you know, gets get some hype there and, and deservedly so. He's back at one of the corner spots and and led the team with three picks last year. And heck, the safety's position got some help with uh, Bubba Bolden coming in.
3: They, they did. I mean, the coaches have been raving uh, about Bubba Bolden. The only issue with him is he's only been on campus, I think now for about two and a half weeks. So yeah. he was at, at USC and then uh, he, he left USC, was at a junior college, had to finish up a class. But I don't think he's going to play probably 50, 60 snaps against the Gators, but I think they're going to try to get him on the field because they think he's an elite talent.
2: And that, and that, you know, that is interesting. Is following the storyline with him and how much he, he'll play, I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering that myself and you know, being thrust in. Uh, kind of late in the process, and with an early game, of course, you know that the, the timeline was was shrinking a little bit to get him in. Uh, you, you seem, you know, pretty high on, uh, on this defense, and that was uh, the reliable part uh, of the team last year. Given even the struggles of offense overall, do you expect the, this defense to kind of keep up uh, with what we you know saw from Miami's defense last year?
3: I think so, man. I I just think this this the scheme and brand of football they play it just leads to a, a lot of turnovers. I mean, I think there's probably going to be some growing pains uh, on the back end, like I said, at the safety position. I mean, Miami fans seem to forget for the past two years. I mean, you had two guys penciled in at safety in Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrico Reddivine, and they never gave up a big play on the back end of the defense. So we really don't know what Amari Carter and Gervin Hall are going to look like. I just I don't think they're going to have, struggle to get pressure. It's just once that ball's in the air, um, the, the secondary is a little green and they're pretty thin on numbers. It's much like Florida. I mean, they've had some guys enter the transfer portal, um, so the, they're pretty inexperienced there. I, I like Trajan Bandy a lot, but, you know, at the end of the day, he, he's a nickel corner. He's not a guy who's going to burn you and, and run with a big wide receiver down the field. So um, I think I'm not expecting much of a drop off. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I, I think uh, the defense will probably play close to the same level they had last year. And uh,
2: before I let you go here, let's take a look at this staff a little bit. Uh, You know, of course, there will be some differences uh, with Mark Rick moving on and Manny Diaz taking over. Of course, the the defensive side of the ball is familiar uh, with with Manny Diaz. But uh, in broad strokes, uh, what's been the biggest change from going from Rick uh, to what Enos is bringing on offense and Manny Diaz overall?
3: Uh, the biggest thing on offense from what we've seen in practices and, and back going back to the spring game or spring scrimmages, or whatever you want to call them, is there's a lot of motion in this offense. And Miami fans cried for that uh, under Mark Richt. I mean, there was times when Mark Richt, uh, he would just have a, a quarterback snap the ball and then you had receivers running four deep routes. I mean, there was no real trying to out scheme someone. And from what we've seen. Enos loves to to pre snap motion. There's a ton of guys that are moving around. Um, he's trying to create mismatches. So I think that's the one thing. Uh, if a Florida fan had watched a Miami game last year, to what they'll see on Saturday night, that's what's going to be really different there. It's just how much they, they kind of move guys around. Uh, there's a lot more stuff under center, I would say. Um, and I think the biggest the biggest thing is. I think Manny's really trying to breed some competition down here in Coral Gables. I don't know how much there really of that was last season. I think at times um, there were some players on that roster and that in that locker room that kind of got complacent. And I think by Manny naming Jaron Williams uh, the starting quarterback, it really shows that if you prove yourself on these uh, practice fields, then they're gonna they're gonna ride with you. I mean, it would have been very easy for for uh Manny to to name Tate the guy that would have been very on brand with the quote unquote the new Miami but he went with someone who I think a lot of his teammates kind of believe in so that to me just shows that they've they've tried to instill this uh competitive culture will it work i i, I don't know last year when miami played this neutral site game to open the season against lsu the team came out pretty flat i'm interested to see if if they'll be able to to buy into what manny does and just to see if, if uh, that training camp really worked and if they're uh, all, all ready to go because there's a lot of green coaches on that coaching staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
2: Awesome. That's a great look at Miami from Andrew Ivan from Inside U on the 24-7 Sports Network. Andrew, thank you so much. And what you guys got coming up uh, in the next couple of days as we, as we you know, lead up to kickoff of this game.
3: Uh, well, I got a podcast of my own. We've been, been kind of breaking <laughs> down uh, the too deep, but uh, working. You know, I do a lot of our recruiting stuff, so I've been working on a a visitors list there, uh, just trying to get some confirmed names, and you know, just kind of getting ready for this thing. Awesome. Uh, before I let you go, you do have the
2: recruiting background. Uh, some of the big battles you see coming up uh, between now and you know, early signing period and and signing day for for Hurricanes and the Gators.
3: The biggest one's definitely Isaiah Walker. Uh, the, the top two four seven offensive tackle from down here in Miami. Uh, I think he's the best offensive lineman I've seen come out of this area uh, just because he's a true tackle prospect since I've been down here. That's about four or five years. Uh, was committed to South Carolina, decommitted, visited both Miami and Florida during that uh, contact period last month along with Florida State. But I think this is uh, shaping up to be a, a battle between uh, the Hurricanes and Gators, I, I think he, he likes Manny Diaz and Miami's offensive line coach a lot. But I think at the same time, he's real attracted to what Dan Mullen's got going up there. I asked him if it, he thinks that, you know, uh, if it, whoever wins this game will be the deciding factor. He said no. But I think uh, he, it's also whoever wins this game might might kind of get a leg up on the other school in the recruitment. Well, both schools can definitely use him. We know that much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was looking at the 2-D for both schools' offensive line. I was like, oof. Uh, I do do not expect great offensive line play on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, that that,
2: that is the big question, Morrison, could call for an ugly game. And Yeah, Isaiah Walker, definitely uh, the big target there for for the Hurricanes and the Gators. Andrew, hey, thank you so much, man, for uh, breaking this game down with me. All
3: right, we'll see you Saturday, man.
2: Chad Wilson, CEO of Gridiron Studs, joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Chad, how you doing?
1: Doing good. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, you counting down the days to this game like I am?
1: Uh, I think everybody is. And, uh, <laughs> Florida, Miami uh, should happen more often, but we have it this year, and I'm I'm happy.
2: So you just mentioned it should be played more. You know, uh, why is that? You know, should it be played every year? Should it be played on a, like a rotational basis? Uh, you know, because Florida already plays Florida State every year. So someone might see it a little unfair if they have to play FSU and Miami every year, plus the SEC schedule, uh, or or, or and maybe not be available to schedule other teams like they are with Colorado and Texas down the road. Is this game that should be played every year or, or figured out on some kind of rotational basis?
1: It'd be nice, but I'm in the camp that um, would say it would probably be unfair for them to play this game every year and an SEC schedule, and uh, people outside of the SEC tend to throw dirt on that. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that the SEC is the toughest conference that there is out there. Uh, I know some people that from the other conferences don't want to hear that, but that's just because they're from those other conferences. It is a tough schedule. Even a game like Vanderbilt, that's not, you know, a perennial winner per se in terms of wins of losses, it can be a very, very physical game. Same with, you know, someone like a Kentucky who just is coming off of a, you know, really good season, but they're not always above 500. But it's a very physical football game whereas in some of these other conferences that may not be the case you know and I'm not going to sit here and go name schools from other conferences being specific but in some of these other conferences when you get those games against those teams that are below 500 perennially it's not that physical of a game so um, to go put Miami on the schedule Um, every year it's it's a rivalry so even if one of those teams tend to be down and if you're looking at it from Florida's standpoint let's say you're encountering a Miami team that is not going to be thought of highly or you know not um, at the top of their game at the time it's still going to be highly emotional it's still going to be a physical football game that's going to be played to the max max And that's just another game like that on the schedule. And everyone's pursuing the same thing, which is a national championship. So um, it just doesn't really work out to have, um, you know, a Florida and Miami playing every year. And I don't really know how you make that happen. So I think in this situation where we do have it, we really should cherish it if it happened every other year or once every four years. You know what I think? I think it should probably happen the way that it does with in the SEC when, you know, East teams will sometimes play West teams and however they go about doing that. So if it happened every four years, great. But to say that this should happen every year, no. If all three of these teams, Florida State and at Florida and Miami were all in the same conference, then sure, great. If everything would be equal, but not Florida and the SEC and the other two are in the ACC. and And, you know, we're talking about, it should happen every year. No, shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, and you have a unique look uh, at this rivalry. Play, playing at Miami, two sons, Quincy and Marco, uh, play at Florida. What is it about this, about these two teams that? It, it, it doesn't seem like they're ever elite at the same time you know you had you had runs in the early 90s for Miami and that kind of transition into Florida and Florida State taking over and having uh, their dominant runs in the in the 90s and then Miami turns it around again in the early 2000s uh, when you know Florida and my and FSU kind of faltered down it, it it's very rare that you' know, you're talking to the big three all three are good at the same time but you know Florida and miami are uh, as well as we, you know The focus of these two teams are hardly ever elite, really good at the same time.
1: You know, I've never really given that thought. Um, I know in my day when I was playing, all three of us were really, really good. Um, And there may be a time when we're all in the top 10 at the same time. And if that wasn't the case, then if one of the teams was outside of the top 10, it was pretty, pretty close. So I know during my time playing, all three of us were really, really good. And I know that has become something that's very difficult to do nowadays. The college football landscape has changed. But if I'm going to go on a theory, there isn't, you know, there's only but I know we've got a ton of talent in the state, um, but I think there's only so much upper echelon talent um, to go around. And so, you know, two of the three teams have it, then obviously that third team's not going to have as much so they you know won't have an opportunity to be a lead or you know one team is really really doing well then you'll find that um, to keep pace, maybe the other schools are rotating coaches in and out of it there. there's a lot of turnover. so I think it's very, very difficult, especially in this day and age and at this time, um, to have all three teams, be you know elite it's, that's become very very difficult because recruiting's more spread out you get the talent rated out of this state at at a you know a heavier clip and you know with what alabama and clemson are doing it becomes difficult now to keep all of those kids in state and feed them to all three so it just stands to reason that um if one if one or two teams uh, out of the big three is doing well then the other one's just probably gonna suffer
2: uh, let's get to the team a little bit And uh, Marco returning uh, a- After last year How hard was it for him to be on the sidelines During the 10 win season Top 10 finish for the Gators and you know, Especially after coming back from 2017 When he's on the field a lot But the team's not winning a lot And then he's on the sideline And, and the team's winning a lot you know, How hard was it for him to I'm sure he was happy for the guys Of course he was But how hard was it to not be involved in that And And how long has it How long did it take him to start feeling comfortable after that injury?
1: Um, Extremely difficult, to answer the first part of your question, to sit by and not be a part of that 10-win season. You know, he started as a freshman, obviously happy about that. Uh, but it was amidst a four and seven season where there was a tremendous amount of disappointment. And, you know, when the season's over, you're certainly looking forward to next year where you can right the wrongs and come back and have a great season and play the kind of football that you expected to play when you came to the University of Florida and to, you know, have to sit on the sidelines while that is actually happening. Everything that you had dreamt for and hoped for uh, from a team standpoint is actually occurring and you can't be a part of it. It was very difficult for him I can think of two games that were especially hard. I know the LSU game, which was a very dramatic win against a tough conference opponent and happened in dramatic fashion with a pick six. And just to not be out there, he's really in the dumps after the game, felt really bad that he couldn't be a part of it. And then the whole bowl week thing, um, not being able to participate in a year six uh, bowl game against a Michigan team. And um, you know, go through all the bowl week stuff without being able to play was especially difficult for him. And I think those things fueled him in his preparation and his rehab, um, to get him get himself back to where he was able to be on the field and, and help the team. And Marco's really special in from a mental standpoint, um, where he is uh, fearless and, you know, as a kid it was something that drove you know, Carmen and I wild uh, was that <laughs> just was very, very fearless. And so it, it had its drawbacks as a youth. with uh, would scare us to death, and you would take a lot of chances. But when it comes to something like this, coming back from a knee injury, it's, it's really to his benefit because um, he just goes out there and plays and doesn't really give much thought about the knee that he injured and that it could be re-injured again, just goes out there and plays. And I think that's been a tremendous asset to him getting back on the field and getting back up to speed and um, being in the – the way he needs to be to help the team.
2: Well, with, with his return this year is also the return of Torian Gray uh, that are in the defensive backfield and, and coaching those guys up. Uh, you know, you look at it in a different way mo- than most of us do with you know your background in football and your son now being coached under him. How, how important is the return of, of Gray for this Florida secondary?
1: Extremely important, uh, and I knew I knew one thing was for sure uh, that, that all three of us agreed on um, when they were going through their process um, and I was going through it with them is that they needed to have really good coaching. You know, I, I, it was important to um, have what they grew up with both through youth football and high school football extended into college football. So going somewhere and not getting the best in coaching was really going to be a no-go and I know you can't, you don't uh, have control over that so to speak because coaches come and go but going to a program where you knew if a coach left it would be uh, very important to the school, that staff, the program that they replace a coach that leaves with someone that can coach um, the position. And um, Torian Gray is certainly that, an an extreme technician, um, uh, someone that can provide players with tools when they go out there on the field to make plays. Um, He's about as good as anyone as there is in doing that. And so I'm very pleased that he's there. Marco's certainly very pleased. Um, And and Quincy is as well because he spent time with Torian and told Marco about the things that he would be able to provide for him, and he's certainly done that. So when you have tools, and you go out on that field with them, you feel very confident about the job. You, you know, let's, you know, like let's say you're working construction, you're going out there and you have all the tools you need. You feel confident about being able to to complete the task. And it's the same thing when you're going out there as a football player, especially as a defensive back. You want to know that you have the tools to be able to do the job and um, handle the wide receivers and what is coming at you. And Torian's really good at providing those guys with tools and the knowledge that they need. To make the play, so I'm uh, I'm extremely pleased to to have him there, and he's done he's been great for Marco and the rest of that secondary
2: that's awesome to hear and of course in the in the grand scheme of things with that defense is is todd grantham's defense and he flirted with the nfl and before deciding to come back from florida this year what is it about todd grantham's defense that uh, makes it exciting to to play for with these kids and you know the the pressure he brings from that you know that front seven and you can only help that florida secondary uh and what they can do back there with the pressure that's been uh, put, put on opposing quarterbacks
1: yeah, well I think you said you said it. Um it's the pressure that he brings. Um, and and it's an NFL style defense, so you're you're getting that kind of training, you're playing in that kind of system um and you're put in pressure situations like man to man coverage. Um but then it's just the multitude of um, pressure packages that he brings, a multiple style blitzes. Um, he could bring anyone from anywhere and you know that the way that Mississippi State game ended last year is a testament to that. I mean, your safety is coming from down high and hitting the A-gap. I mean, that's very exciting for the players that can play in a system like that. I'm sure Donovan Steiner is very happy to have had his name called in that situation (laughs) and to to come from where he did, come through the A-gap untouched and finish off the quarterback to finish the game. I mean, that's a lot of fun for guys playing in that system, you know, standing back there and just playing in the post or on the hash all the time. Um, is really what you're called to do as a safety, but every now and then to break out of that, you know, monotonous that monotony and come down and um, get a blitz like that in a crucial situation is great. And you know, uh, Coach Grantham is not afraid to 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 bring guys. Um, he'll bring a corner. He'll bring a he'll bring a nickel back. He'll bring a safety. And um, you know, it's kind of the way. Uh, I would coach, too. When I was coaching, and bring pressure from strange places. It's a lot of fun for the guys and fun for you and fun for the fans watching it. So um, it's it's great to have them all in that kind of system. And it's fun for Gator fans to watch uh, that kind of defense being played.
2: And as far as the Miami game comes along with that, Jaron Williams, is named starting quarterback in his first game, is going to be against mm-hmm. that Todd Grantham defense.
1: Yeah, yeah um, a difficult – you know, task for the young man, but from all the counts, uh, what I've heard is he was um, far and away, if I could say that, the best candidate for that starting job. So if you're Manny Diaz, do you really want to start off the season with um, a quarterback that hasn't taken very many snaps against uh, a rival and an SEC opponent? No. But Manny's job is to think about the long-term future of that team, and I think if that's what you have in mind, then I think the right choice was made with Jaron Williams. So um, it's not just this one game for Miami; it's this entire season and a, an a, and a entire program that Manny's trying to build. And so I think he made the right decision. Man, they'll just you know, this is what you get paid for as a coach—a lot of money. You just figure out how you can put the young man in the best situations to be successful in, in a game like this, and we'll just kind of see how it unfolds.
2: You know, besides that matchup there uh, of a first-time quarterback going against Todd Grantham's defense, uh, what other matchup uh, in this Florida-Miami game are you looking forward to seeing?
1: Obviously, we're going to pay attention to what's happening in the trenches. You know, uh, both offensive lines are very much maligned. Um, And, you know, on paper, the defensive lines for both of these teams would have the edge against the offensive line. So I think the biggest thing is which one of these offensive lines can overcome perhaps some of the criticism, if we could say, or some of the question marks and doubts. That they have uh, coming into the season so whichever one of those offensive lines can gel together and get the job done um, I think would probably put their team in position best to get a victory so that's going to be something I'm really going to be paying attention to um, and, and and so that's the biggest thing then you know obviously the, this, the matchups in the secondaries for both teams Florida is very deep at wide receiver and they seem to have uh, one of everything that they need. They have a big guy. They have a route runner. They have a speed guy. They have a guy with shakes. They have a guy uh, with that can catch balls in traffic. So they seem to have one of everything. And um, for, uh, Miami has um, a good group of receivers as well, a lot of speed, a lot of guys that are shifty. So seeing those matchups, um, you know, series after series is going to be great as well. And then, you know, I'm anxious to see what Florida's backfield is going to, you know, look like um, with the return of Malik Davis and, and, and Perrine getting more snaps now and more carries than he did last year. You know, he had to share carries with Jordan Scarlett. So what does he look like when he is more of the man? Um, that's going to be interesting for me to see. And I mean, this whole thing, I could probably go through it. Um, <laughs> You know, this is this is why this game is so great, uh, because I'm I'm anxious to see everything. And then how do the how do the very experienced linebackers for Miami affect the game? Um, they're definitely going to have a pretty solid impact. And th- what does their experience bring to the game, and can it uh, make up for any um, replacements they've had to make in the defensive line? So I'm 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 anxious to see it all, man.
2: All right, then we we mentioned the. Uh the you know, the top ten finish under Dan Mullen last year and uh, the, the, there's a a, you know, a national narrative out there and all the off field issues of of cultural problems at Florida and all that just you know, just speak to you know, the the culture shift from Jim McElwain you don't have to you know necessarily badmouth what happened beforehand but just the change from Jim McElwain to Dan Mullen uh, going into his second season now uh, and just you know not necessarily the football aspect of it but uh, behind the scenes aspect of Dan Mullen now being the head coach of Florida
1: um speaking on this current staff I just like the accountability that is uh, being brought to the table you're accountable for everything um and that that takes place whether that is you um you know, getting the class. Not to say that they didn't do that with the last staff. They definitely did that. Um, One of the biggest things has been in the weight room. You know, there's no question about that. I'd be, you know, lying to your listeners if I said there hasn't been a big change in that department. And uh, that's been extremely beneficial. And it's one of the more underrated things in a program is the strength and conditioning. So I can't say enough about the job that Coach Savage and the staff has done with these current guys. And if you go out there now and take a look at them, you notice it. It's very noticeable. There's a change in the bodies of these guys. And, um, you know, so in that weight room, which is very crucial to uh, a team's success, there has been a tremendous change. And it's, you know, obviously been to the benefit of uh, all these guys in the program. And it sends them out there with a certain amount of confidence. And I'm not afraid to say that, you know, it is what it is. But just overall, in general, there's more accountability I think um, that these guys are held to and for, you know, I'm not in there on a day-to-day basis to, to really know what, what the difference is, so to speak, the nuts and bolts of it. I just know this and feel this to be the case. There's a, there's a more of an accountability. And you got to have that with young men, 18 to 22 years old, you got to make them accountable for their actions. You're, You're no longer under mom and dad's roof. Um And so it's not falling on mom and dad, it's falling on your 18 year old shoulders, you're becoming a man. And so you might as well start taking account of your actions and being held accountable, because that's what life is going to do from you to you from from now on, you know, you're out the door, you're a grown man. And so you're going to have to, you know, be held to the fire on the things and the decisions that you make. And so that's something that you want football aside. That's what you want your young men learning as they're now getting ready to head out into the world, whether they're going to be NFL football players or they're going to be business managers or engineers or whatever they are. So from that standpoint, um, I think that's been a great thing for all of these guys for various reasons.
2: Uh, Chad, you can bring a unique perspective to this last topic here. You went through the process. Two sons go through the process. It's too much made of recruiting and and stars matter and, and recruiting rankings when they come out in February of where teams finish. You know, how, how does it translate to on-field production and the teams that are winning national championships and the way they recruit? It's too much made of, uh, of what
1: we see by you know stars by a player's name. It's a good question, and it's a difficult question. And I think um, to touch on the, just the last part of what you said there, the stars on a player's name, um, perhaps they're earned. I think the biggest thing is how a player handles being in that position. Some guys handle it well in terms of, okay, that I was a five-star high school football player, now I'm in college, and so now I'm going to try to become a five-star college football player and some guys want um, their bed made for them because they were a five-star high school football player and I really try to stress the guys um, in when I'm giving advice on recruiting that high school football is not college football and it's it's I can't say that enough I, I try with all my might to stress it to guys. I stress it to guys who are on the fringe of whether or not they are even able to play college football, and I stress that to guys who are being regarded as uh, five-star or highly touted players. You're entering into what is going to damn near be a different sport for you. You know, I've seen 190-pound defensive ends get 20 sacks in high school football. That is not going to happen. In college football, and so it's a totally different game. The amount of time that's put in is 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 extremely different. It's more difficult. More is going to be demanded of you, and some of these guys don't get that. So maybe you were six foot four and you were two hundred and twenty pounds in high school, and you were able to dominate the competition without doing much other than just being six four and two twenty and being athletic. And now you go to college, and you feel like. Uh, you're still the man and you want to put in as little work as you did in high school, you're going to be a bust. And so I think that's the biggest thing is how each one of these players handle the position that they're in um, and, and kind of go from there. Let's face it. A lot of these guys get these five-star rankings because of their physical dimensions, because people feel based on, you know, uh, their size and their athletic acumen that they can project into something big time at the next level, but really it just boils down to the mental part of it. And so um, recruiting and the ratings and the rankings are not going anywhere. It's a great business Um, and fans seem to suck all that up and guys are losing college jobs or getting hired because of their ability to recruit. I think me personally, I think maybe, yeah, a little bit too much is being put on that and we really should be focused more on how a guy can coach. Can you take an 18-year-old football player and turn him into a 20, 21-year-old football player? I think a little more importance should be put on that rather than your ability to say the right things in the kitchen uh, at the kitchen table on a on a visit and get him to sign with you. But it doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. Recruiting is kind of running this thing and so we kind of just all got to live in that world and abide by it, but Uh, I'm all about coaching and and trying to mold these kids and and get them on straight. So I wish a little bit more importance would be put into that in terms of hiring guys or uh, the kind of demands you make on a coach um, once he's a part of your program.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I realize the importance of recruiting, and, and I probably do stress it sometimes too much. But still, with that said, I am much more behind and much more care about what happens between September and December. <laughs> so, and I know a lot of what happens in those other months and uh, recruiting, uh, you know, kind of translates into that, you know. But, uh, you know, given, you know, nobody saw 10 wins in, in Florida last year, and, and given, you know, how, you know, we, we dog Jim McElwain's recruiting, we're, we're looking at a lot of that talent. Translating into a pretty good Florida team this year.
1: Yeah. So what does that boil down to? It boils down into your ability to coach and and get guys to do the job. And uh, we've placed so much importance on recruiting that um, kids get thrown away really fast in programs. You know, uh, a kid will come into a program and within two three weeks of summer um, summer fall camp, uh, you know, you're saying the kid can't play. He's not going to make it here. Three weeks in and it's just easy now to go run back out and start making phone calls to four and five star recruits to replace a kid that just got to your program you know what i mean he probably still has uh you know tape on his helmet with his name on it and you've already determined that he can't play he's not going to be this that he's 18 years old you know mold the kid coach him um, and bring out the best in that kid and, uh, i i think we just need to spend a Slow down and spend a little bit more time on that. Not everyone is ready to go right away, and sometimes the greatness in a kid takes a two or three years to come out. Let's not be so fast to throw them away and go find another five-star kid uh, at the local high school. I just don't like that we do that.
2: Well said. Well said, Chad. Before we let you go, let it all let all of our Gators Breakdown listeners uh, know where to find you and, and what they what they're getting with Gridiron Studs.
1: Oh, well, well. First of all, I'll talk about studs. I'm very happy. We're right now we're in in the process of redoing the website, which is not something i would had a tremendous amount of focus on. It was really more on the app, um, and so I'm I'm happy about the website, and it should be re totally redone here in the next 30 days. So to have an awesome website going with with some already awesome app, um, I'm just happy about the developments with that. But for people who don't know, the Gridiron Studs app allows high school football players to. Uh, get on and create a profile, of detailing all of their athletic and academic accomplishments, and they can list their offers and pictures and highlight videos, everything that they need to, um, you know, have a, a a coach, a college football coach, recruit them. But on top of that, they keep fans updated with uh what's going on with the latest going on in their recruiting so they keep a recruiting status on status update on there so they'll talk about their visits and uh you know offers that they've received and you know all the latest things that are going on with their college football recruiting and so it's a great thing for fans who want all the latest information on their favorite recruits and it's great about that so if you want to follow me on social media i'm here saying something crazy every now and then on twitter <laughs> at, at gridironstuds and then on instagram we have a pretty large following and do a lot of great stuff on there and provide a lot of great content it's the same at gridironstuds on instagram those are the two best ways to find follow me and keep up to date on gridironstuds and the gridironstuds app
2: awesome chad man i can't thank you so much for uh your know, previewing florida miami and and the knowings of the program like you have uh, uh thanks once again for joining us here on gators breakdown
1: yeah, David, I love I love what you're doing, man, and I love the way you get in there, get in depth, and break it down, and I hope the fans and people listening out there love it too. Uh, so I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We'll do it again.
2: Thanks, man. Before we move on, guys, you have got to try UFM underwear. It is hot out there, and whether you're out there tailgating or working, you need a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support. All while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company and has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, Underwear for Men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to UFMUnderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. And we're inching closer to Florida and Miami, and joining me here on Gators Breakdown is Bill King from the Bill King Show on WNSR up in Nashville. Bill, Florida, Miami, some old-time rivals probably don't play as much as they should. Uh, is Is this a game you'd like to see play more?
0: Oh, I think so. It's interesting. Miami needs to bring it up some. We'll see if they're worthy. But I'd really like to see it back in the day, in the 90s, when Miami's program was all-time peaking those years all the way up until one versus Spurrier. Those would have been some fun games. That, that game isn't today where it would have been then. But if both of those teams are right, it would be one of the fantastic games in college football
2: absolutely and uh, we'll probably you know we'll get the uh we'll get an announcement Florida Miami will be uh, probably doing a home and home too uh coming up, up uh coming up in the near future but uh for now game in Orlando this coming weekend Florida Miami but what do you want to see from from both teams you know Florida's coming into this game top 10 uh, off of a top 10 finish last year Dan Mullen really good first year going against Manny Diaz at Miami uh and coming in with you know a new head coach there his first game with a uh, with a first time starting quarterback
0: To me, this game's more about Miami, and I'll explain what I mean there. I think I know Florida. Florida's a really good, solid team. They're not great, but they're good. And we know the personnel that Florida has. They can be physical. They can run the ball. They've got a very good receiving core. They've got a quarterback who found himself a year ago. Defense is going to be salty as usual. Miami, I've got questions about. Quarterback, job has been announced. They're going with Jaron Williams. He was a four-star recruit, we all recall. Pretty good player, but we haven't seen him play college ball, really. And I don't know what they can get done offensively in this game. This This is where my questions are. So I go into the game thinking I know Florida and wondering about Miami. With this, do
2: you like that this game is that week zero game, and it's the only game on in that time slot? Of course, there's another game later that night, Arizona State, Hawaii uh, there. But, uh, you know, this game's been pushed up. It's in the spotlight on ESPN. Uh, they're kind of surrounding 150 years of college football around this game. Uh, do you wish there were some other games going on that day, or are you good with the uh, this being the uh, the prime matchup?
0: I kind of like it standing alone as you just mentioned i like that and then that gets us all hungry for the first really big weekend the next weekend of football where everybody basically plays i'm good with it i kind of like that standalone thing if i'm a gator i like that too if i'm a miami hurricane because there's really nothing else if you're a college football fan your eyeballs have to be there i like that
2: bill Bill, i I bring up this point and let me know if, if you agree or not You'd go back to the way Florida ended last year, and look—we know FSU is not the same FSU, but it was good for Florida to get that monkey off their back. And then you go to the Peach Bowl in Michigan, and a team you've struggled with recently, as much as you've played them, and you know you go and put up forty points against them. And now you're going against Miami, and much like FSU, it's not the same team as you know they can be and what they can live up to be. But I still say no matter the, the the reason why you beat these teams or, or, or maybe even beat them in, in talking about Miami, it still says a lot for you to say you beat FSU, you beat Michigan, you beat Miami. I know different years, but three games in a row, no matter uh, what those programs look like at the moment.
0: Well, if you're Florida, it's not your problem where Florida State is as far as how good the team may or may not be. The same with Michigan, Michigan had a pretty good season until the Ohio State game. And playing Miami, it's it's not your problem. You, you can't determine what level they're going to play on. Beating them looks good on the resume, regardless of that. I agree with that. And frankly, if you're Florida, heck, you don't want Florida State to be good. You don't need them to be good. Florida State doesn't need Florida doesn't need Florida State, I should say to be good to get into some sort of championship at all.
2: Yeah, and and that brings up another point there, Bill. It it seems weird that the big three aren't good at the same time. You had uh, what Miami did in the 80s and FSU kind of toward the late 80s and all of 90s. uh, Miami kind of fell off when Florida came about with Spurrier, so you have Florida, Florida State. But it's rare for all three teams to be what you would call great or, or, or elite at the same time.
0: It is, it is kind of interesting. That typically is a function of the head coach. If you're hiring a succession of wrong fits, which basically Miami has done every time since Butch Davis, Larry Coca won the first national championship, got beat by the Buckeyes the next year, and then the whole thing eroded and he got fired. Every hire since then has been the wrong hire in essence, to get Miami back at least. And they've done this year after year after year after year. Now, I'm not judging Manny Diaz yet he had not coached the game for him as the head coach. But, yeah, it's, it's a function of bad hires. If you want to boil it down to the, the common denominator, it's who'd you bring in? Who, who's your guy? Florida State brought in Jimbo Fisher, yielded a national championship. That was a good hire. Even though it ended in a sour way, that was a good hire. The Gators, since Spurrier, have made a couple of bad hires, as we know. And what was the outcome there? The program went down. It's pretty easy.
2: Bill, we look uh, Bill King from the Bill King Show on WNSR joining us here on Gators Breakdown. A few more thoughts from him before we let him go. Bill, how much does uh, how much does Felipe Franks need to improve, uh, or or what does he need to prove uh, as Florida goes into the season top ten?
0: Well, this is his first year where we begin the season and there's success on his back. They found the the, the magic formula. Now, look, he wasn't great. He was good. And good was a big improvement over where he had been, which was consistently inconsistent. Didn't even look like a starting quarterback at times prior to last year. They found his stride. You always get better. And there's things you can add to the offense. This is a 6'6", 240-pound big quarterback who can make plays in the passing game. You can run it. You can make him an offensive weapon individually, not throwing the football, along with those running backs. I think he just gets better there with consistency. And he's got that year. He's got to have confidence, too, which is a big thing.
2: Yeah, with what Florida has it running back and receiver and around him, you know, offensive line a question. But skill a uh, skill player talent, you know, I, I think has to boost that confidence a little bit.
0: I think so. And I know that prior to last year, the offensive line had been a problem. And it had been seemingly a year-to-year problem for a while. Last year they played pretty solid up there, I thought. I'm not real worried about that group. I know there's some question marks. But I think Dan Mullen typically gets those things fixed.
2: Bill, recruiting as a big topic for all the big elite programs out there. Uh, there's a split uh, among the Florida fan base at how much it matters, and especially with Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen leading the charge and his reputation for developing players. Does he have to recruit top five like Alabama and Georgia to overcome those two teams?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you you got to – that's the one area Dan Mullen has got to do better. And that's not to suggest he's not getting the place. That's not my point. But you've got to get elite. And you've got to stock a roster like that. Not every player has to be Johnny Five Star. But if you're going to go beat Alabama and you're going to beat Georgia or Clemson, you've got to recruit like they are. Florida's not recruiting like they are right now. There's a difference. There's a clear separation. That roster does not look like their roster's. And if Mullen is going to make Florida look like Spurrier Peak, and not all Spurrier's classes were top ranked, but tons of talent. Urban Meyer Peak, 06, 08, 09. You got to get players that are like that. And right now, that is not happening. Not top to bottom.
2: Yeah, but I, I liken it too. It doesn't mean you won't beat those teams uh, a year or, or a game, but to consistently compete up there and be in that conversation right. year in and year out—that's that's where you got to. You, you've got to match them there. And I, and I kind of you know, the, the reason we should want that is because we do know how Dan Mullen develops players, so it should be. You know, I hate for I hate saying there's shoe ins or for sure things, but. I think if you give Dan Mullen that talent, then that's about as close to a for sure thing as making Florida a perennial contender is having that type of talent with his reputation.
0: Well, I agree. I think he's a coach that would belong in that ballgame with that kind of talent. Here's the thing now. Think about the environment we're in right now. If you're going to get ultimately to a title, let's say SEC and or national, you got to go through the best coach that's ever done it, ever. And Nick Saban, he'll go down as the best ever, better than Bear Bryant, who was formerly the best ever on the same campus. You got to go through him maybe a couple times. That that's it, it depends on where you are in history too. When Urban Meyer got the Florida job, I thought it was a slam dunk; he was going to make big. I didn't doubt that, but Nick Saban wasn't there. He had left LSU. He was flirting. In the NFL. And then, of course, he showed back up in 07. So there was an overlap. And then it took him a year to clean up Mike Shula's mess. So 07 was basically a wash. 08, he had a back right. 09, they went at natty. Now you've got Nick Saban, that Dan Mullen's got to deal with, at Florida, better place to be than Mississippi State, as we know. And if you get through them, you might have to, you might hit Clemson, which is going to have an elite roster. Clemson right now feels like they're having a generational recruiting class. And this is a team that's won two of the last three daddies. There's a, there's a lot of places where you've got to break through that wall now that maybe in some other eras you, you don't. You didn't have to. It is, it is more hard right now if you're not Alabama or Clemson to win a national championship than maybe ever because you have to deal with them.
2: Bill, there's a big question going around the Florida fan base right now and it's and you can speak to this uh, probably be, probably better than anybody can uh, from the other side of it, uh, and that is, is Florida and Tennessee still a rivalry game? And we, we know Florida's recent dominance uh, in, in the series, even dating back to the 90s, and Peyton Manning never beaten Florida. You know, if you look at kind of the order of Florida's rivals, you have Georgia and FSU in either order uh, up top, then you probably may slot LSU there in that third spot or Tennessee in that third spot. There's a there's a lot of – and there's a lot of Gator fans even questioning if Tennessee's a rivalry game anymore. I think on the Tennessee side of things it still is, but from a Florida side of things, you can't blame the fan base for the recency bias and, and, and LSU kind of jumping in that third peg.
0: Well, they still play, but I don't look at it like that. When, when Florida and Tennessee are about to play – a random game, any year, I don't get the adrenaline rush of the Spurrier years. Nothing. I don't, I don't think it'll ever look like that again, where both teams were playing for a division, a league, and maybe an natty. That's how good they work together. And I'm talking about these teams combined. Obviously, Tennessee has not been there. And Florida has spent a whole lot of years, since Urban Meyer not being good enough, too. But it's been more Tennessee as the inadequate of the pairing than Florida. And Florida has owned that series from Steve Spurrier until now. I don't think it's—it's it's certainly not a—it's not. I, I'm not looking at that game on the calendar right now, saying I can't wait to get to it because it hasn't been very interesting. And let's face it, the game hadn't really meant anything. Bigger picture, now it means something to the locker room and for the fan bases, it matters that day. But big picture, it means nothing. That—that—that that, that needs to change. And again, it's—it's it's more Tennessee needing to to rise up and and get better florida needs to some too but tennessee's got further to go
2: bill last thought here uh, i've been on your show plenty of time and uh, and we've discussed the talent we think florida has uh on this year's team would it surprise you if florida was representing the sec east in atlanta instead of georgia or how much oh, would yeah. it surprise
0: you yeah, it'd be, it'd be a big shot to me. I think the, the roster difference is pretty significant right now. And it's it's depth. It might not be that Florida's first 11, first 22 are that less, let's say, talented than, than Georgia, but it's the years and it's the depth in recruiting. And that matters. That matters, as we know on a physical football field, all those things multiply. The only way that happens is somebody is going to have to upset Georgia. And I don't, I'm not even talking about the Florida-Georgia game. I'm talk, George, Florida's going to need some other people to do work for them. And I don't know who in the East. Tennessee's not ready to beat Georgia. None of the other teams in the East are ready to beat Georgia. Georgia doesn't have to play Alabama. Georgia does play AM. Uh AM is the best team in America that has yet to ever do it historically, unless you count the 1930s or something. But I'm talking about modern, that's got unlimited resources and they're having phenomenal recruiting success. I don't think this is the year because AM has to play Clemson on the road, Georgia, Alabama, plus the SEC West. I think that just beats you up. You can have one of your best teams ever, and and go what eight four there <laughs> just just due to the circumstances. But but that's one maybe if if you could get an upset somewhere in there, and Georgia loses a couple games, the only way Florida represents the East Day is if Georgia comes back to the pack. That's the only that's the only way this happens.
2: And that is the great college football mind of Bill King there. Bill, let our Getters Breakdown listeners know where they can find your show uh, time-wise. I know a little difference with Eastern and Central Time since you're located there in Tennessee, but let our Getters Breakdown listeners know uh, you know how, how they can get your show.
0: Go to at BillisKing on Twitter. All the information is there. We've got an app where people all over the place listen to the show all over the planet, and it's free. Just click on that app. But but it's all promoted on Twitter, at BillIsKing on Twitter. The show is every morning, Monday through Friday, your time, Eastern 7 until 10.
2: The best college football talk there. I'm on Bill King's show every Tuesday morning. You can catch me there. Bill, I I enjoy it every week. Uh, I have for years. Listen to you even before that. So, you know, I, I find it an honor to be on your show every week.
0: Dave, I appreciate you, buddy.
2: All right, talking season, almost finished, guys. Florida and Miami is almost here. And, uh, you know, I'm looking, you know, for what I'm looking for in in this game and 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 for the Gators is, uh, you know, getting off to a faster start. A faster start on offense and defense, too. Uh, Y'all know my stat on this. You know, Florida hasn't scored an offensive touchdown versus an FBS opponent since last season's Tennessee game. And the reason I say a fast start on defense is is games where Florida struggled last season, the defense gave up points early on, especially that midseason stretch of Vanderbilt, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina. You know, Miami Miami's bringing in an offense that is very inexperienced at quarterback, at the tackle spots on the offensive line, and in the secondary. So, you know, also inexperienced in the head coaching department with Manny Diaz. Now, I'm not sure, you know, I expect it in game one, but if, you know, if Florida gets off to a fast start and builds an early lead and forces Miami to where they can't protect Williams with the running game, if Florida gets up early, this game is over. Now, in order to do that, you know, Florida may have to open up this game more aggressive than we think. And, I, and I'm telling you, if Florida gets up a couple scores early in this game, Florida's chances are, you know, it'd be hard to lose this game. Uh, Todd Grantham's defense with a lead, knowing what's coming, spells disaster for for a young quarterback like Williams. Uh, you know, this would also let Florida's run game, you know, salt the game away with a stable of backs led by Michael Pirine. Now, and, and the thing is, you know, if this is going to happen, you know, it means Florida's offensive line must hold hold up early on uh if the if the aggression is there in play calling uh, you know that could also lead to some turnovers and you know frank's does struggle under pressure uh there that stat's been going around uh this week if you if you pressure him of course you know n- not all quarterbacks can you know, are are the same quarterback when they get pressured uh but frank's uh you know he got a clean pocket a good time last year uh a bit of the time last year and one reason for for the jump in his production so you know, the Florida offensive line, it is going to be on them. If Florida decides to get aggressive uh, aggressive toward the beginning of the game, they've got to give Frank some time. So, you know, that leads, that leads to something to watch for, in my opinion, is how aggressive Mullen gets early on, you know, to try and put some points on the board and put pressure on Miami. And I'm in the belief that uh, early in the season that, uh, that the offense won't be too aggressive. But in this game in particular, uh, in, in the situation that quarterback for Miami and the youth on the offensive line – I can see that being a part in a big win is trying to get, out, get up to, to to a lead and make Miami fight from behind. So a couple matchups I'm looking forward to watching is, uh, of course, you know this Florida offensive line versus the Miami defensive front. This defensive front is good, uh, but can be had for some rushing yards. Uh, North Carolina ran for 215 yards on Miami last year. Boston College, 223 yards. Georgia Tech, 230 yards. Wisconsin, 333 yards. It may take some carries to get there, but yards can be had. So, you know, I, I think if Florida rushes anywhere near 200 yards, and I feel pretty good about a win here for the Gators. And it's uh, as far as the Florida defense, I, I want to see how Amari Bernie reacts to what I think would be a Miami team that tries to run the ball and throw it to the tight ends in, in a conservative approach by them. That means Bernie's going to be involved and involved a lot, in my opinion. How does he react to, to the increased workload, especially when playing closer to the line of scrimmage and getting down and dirty with offensive linemen in the run game, and then having to keep up with Miami's tight ends? Be a good first test for Bernie, but also Ventrell Miller and James Houston. You know, we know what we're getting in David Reese, and we love what you know we've heard so far on Bernie Miller and Houston at this other linebacker position. Uh, you know, but for for as conservative as I think Miami gets in their play calling, those three players will play. We'll, we'll see plenty of action. Uh, coming their way in this game. So with all the previewing, all the discussion that we've had for months, I really like where Florida is compared to what Miami has coming into this game. Mullen's experience is, you know, his, his experience versus Diaz's experience isn't even close. Uh, and just because of that factor alone, this is a must win for Florida. There's no excuse for Mullen to go, to go lose this game to Miami and Diaz. You know, there are factors I look at when first analyzing this game and you know, who has... And this goes for any game. When, I, when I'm when i looking at any game, first thing I look at is who I think has the better coach and who I think has the better quarterback. And to me, neither one of those are even close to me coming into this game. Florida's got the advantage of both. Both offensive lines are question marks, but Florida's even further along there. You know, because they have a familiarity with this offense. There may not be a ton of starting experience, on-field experience in game situations, but there is enough to help with that Miami front seven. Everywhere else on the field, you know, on offense, Florida has a decided advantage except tight end, uh, where Miami's guys, you know, Will Mallory and Brevin Jordan, uh, have proven just a bit more. And was, uh, in his three seasons at Arkansas, um, Miami's offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, his tight ends combined to average 59 catches per season. So, you know, now now part of that's playing in that run-heavy Arkansas run-type offense that Brett Bielema was bringing to the table. Uh, But that's the style I think Miami should employ here versus Florida to protect Jaron Williams. Uh, That's not to say Florida isn't going to be good there at tight end. But we have to see more from Gamble, Pitts, uh, and Kroll. Everywhere else on offense, I like where Florida stands. Uh, With the defense, I think it's just a case of Todd Grantham and his scheme and and players being too much for Jaron Williams and that young offensive line at the tackle position. Uh, Jeff Thomas is a nice wide receiver. Not enough versus Henderson and Wilson, in my opinion. Especially given the pressure, the front seven will be, I think, be living in the backfield uh, all night long Saturday night. But all that said, I have a Gators 34-13 win over Miami. It would be a tough, passionate, hard-fought game because of the rivalry. That is this game. Eventually Florida's just too much. And then the second half breaks away. I do think the Gators get up early but won't quite break away. It would know, still be uh, Miami playing from behind. Uh, a bit, I don't think they break it open into the second half, until Mullen gets a feel for the game, and the run game takes over, and takes it right to Miami, so that's how I some, you know, that's what I'm looking for in this game, some of those matchups yeah, Florida can get off to a, a faster start on offense and defense, and, and make Miami play from behind, Florida does that, they, they, you know, they, walk, they, they have a pretty easy victory if they get up, you know, by a couple scores early on I think, so Here we go. All the talk's almost over. We're almost ready for kickoff. Florida, Miami, week zero, kicking off 150 years of college football on ESPN. I think we're all ready for the game. I know I am. I know most of you out out there are just tired of talking about it and ready to see some football. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown Podcast, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Be sure to join me on Sunday with Will Salmon from The Athletic as we'll take a look back at Florida-Miami and, of course, all the rest of the Gators Breakdown episodes uh, following with Will Miles on Monday uh, as well. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be looking back at a Gators victory. And guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.